Us hunters need good glass. The well-balanced size Conquest HD binoculars provide outstanding performance for an amazing hunting experience at an unbelievably attractive price. The Conquest range will impress you with the largest field of view in its class. Even at long distances, it provides detailed views of wildlife and enables long, fatigue-free observation. A HD lens system gives great low-light performance and excellent target resolution. These rugged binos carry a 20-year Australian replacement or repair guarantee. Find your local stockers at osaustralia.com.au. With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek the adventure of the unknown. Join us everyday Aussies from all walks of life share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride of fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. All right, good afternoon and welcome to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. Rob Herbert back on the mic after a, uh, a long time not being able to get around and um, do as much. I've had both my knees operated on and that sort of kept me uh, indoors a little bit. Um, and the Christmas period has been very busy with family and grandchildren and all those sort of things. But luckily enough, as the new year's kicked off, I've um, had a few people drop in, and one of those is Tony Ibrahim from Lifelike Taxidermy. And I've got Tony with me this afternoon. Good afternoon, Tony. How are you? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. We're just enjoying ourselves in the air conditioning. It's been a really hot day today, and Tony's um, up at Lakes Entrance just holidaying with the family, and he's had um, the kids out at the beach, I think. So I'm just going to um, adjust some some uh, volume here as well so we're all a little bit too there we go that's a bit better so Tony how's the beach oh it's actually great kids were having a ball in the uh, the waves didn't get too sunburnt just a little (laughs) (laughs) well uh, just for everyone listening Tony um, where do you come from where do you live I live in Reservoir in Melbourne Yep, and you've been down there your whole life? Yeah, born and bred. Yep. So, yeah. Um, have you travelled around quite a bit? Like you in, in hunting, yeah, I've done New Zealand, I've done Africa. Yep. Um, just come back from America doing cougar. Yep, beautiful. That's probably been my favourite by far. <laughs> um, horsebacking, it's just a completely different hunt. Yep. Um, if anyone that's hunted with hounds here with Samba, very similar. Yep. Um, to that, but just a lot harder terrain, you know, with the with the with the cliff faces and the rocks and and that very very hard. Got to be a little bit fitter than what I've turned out to be right now <laughs> since I've come back. Um, but all in all, just a great hunt, which I'll definitely be going back to do again. So what state was that in? That was in Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. Is that hot down there? Um, yeah, it does get hot. It was um, we were sort of winter when we went, so it Snow. was a little bit cold. In the mornings, um, heated up a little bit during the day, and in some spots there was snow. Yep. Um, but where I was hunting was all dry ground. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. And the and the cats are mountain lions. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Tony absolutely loves. Um, I had a quick chat with Tony just before, and the stars that lit up in his eyes when he started <laughs> talking about these big cats. He big loves cats. it. Absolutely love big cats. Love mounting them. Just love everything about them. Yep. Yeah. So um, with the you're saying it's just like hound hunting, I think they run a blue tick dog over there. I yeah, think. they run blue ticks. They run um, coon hounds. They run just a mixture. To be honest, the guy that I, I hunted with was Mike Bensey, um, just a great houndsman. Yep. Um, and his dogs were actually just a bit of coon hound, a little bit of bloodhound, just a bit of mixtures. Yep. Um, but just great hounds. Yeah. Just great, great hounds. And they tree the cat. Is it? They tree the cat. Yeah. Yep. So it's if you, if it's a nice big tom, you want to take it, you can take it. Yep. Um, otherwise, you you can, you can grab dogs and you just go off again. Unreal. Yeah. And is, was that on horses? Were you saying like? Yep. Yep. To so get you, access to where to where you got to go. So yeah. Um, just basically the old cowboy Indian. Yep. Scenes in the in, it's, it's exactly what it's like with the canyons. You you go along, wait for the dogs to pick up scent, and, and then you just follow, and then. There is times you've got to get off your, your horse and walk it up the hill because you're a little bit <laughs> worried about falling off. And then same thing downhill. And 
Um, once the dogs have got the key treat, it, it, it will stay there. It might jump once or twice. Yep. Um, mine, mine jumped the first time, and then we were able to treat the second time and get it. What sort of distance are you travelling with your hunt? Like, do, are they short hunts, like once the hounds get on them, or can the cat actually take the hounds for a, a long run? Nothing like our samba. <laughs> Nothing like our samba. Our samba will run the dogs <laughs> to the ground. Yep. Um, the the mountain lion don't have stamina. Yep. So basically, once the dogs have got the scent, they don't they don't they they don't lose it unless it's gone over a hill where the dogs can't get to. But the stamina is very poor on a on a mountain lion. Yeah, yeah. they go trees or into rocks or yeah. something like or that. Or in the cave, I had the, my my first one it caved. So we had to wait for it to get out of the cave, and then 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 we got it the second time. But yeah, they um the stamina was very surprising. I I thought they had better stamina than that, but they don't. Yeah, yeah, yep. And so your cat that you got was a tom. Did you? It was actually a a female. Yep. But it was they estimated her by her teeth to be about nine ten years old. So wow. she was really old, and she was. Big, she was as big as a tom. So wow. even the guys that I was hunting with thought it was a tom. Yep. Um, but it ended up being a female, and she was, like I said, size, size of a big tom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you remember the weights? I think it was about fifty-five kilo by memory. Wow. As a as a like for a cat, that's that's huge. Decent, yeah. Yeah. When you think about a house cat, yes. You know, and when uh, the house cat's had enough of you and gets all cranky. And uh, sticks its claws into you and says, "No way, you get away from me!" But a uh, fifty-five kilo cat. You can ask a couple of dogs <laughs> that got a little bit too close <laughs> the first time round. Yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And it, <laughs> it doesn't take them long. Yep. You know, with their claws and their and their and their canines, they do a little bit of damage. I bet. And uh, to be quite honest, as soon as I pulled that trigger, I got out of the way pretty quick, <laughs> just in case it come down. Because after you see what what damage it can do, yep. you, you want to be out of there. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. They, they predate mostly on uh, deer, don't they? The, the cats, I think they deer. Um, they got the the javelinas, those little rodent pigs. Yep, yep. Um, and cattle. Yep. But they do like the mule deer. Where, where I was hunting, they got the mule deer. And the coos deer yep. and the whitetail. Yep. Um, and the cat that I was hunting, we saw a couple of mule deer that were coming in to drink. And then once we got to where the mule deer were is where the dogs got onto the cat. Right. So it must have been stalking them at that time. So that's wow. that's how we come across it. They, they were mule deer. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And it's funny, in Australia, you've got hunters that are worried about wild dogs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know an 18-kilo dog. They're big animals. Yeah. And to see one uh, in the flesh would just be absolutely... Like, for me, I've, I've only seen Danny Burke's one and um, that he had mounted. And it was just... I've just never seen something so... Like, it's just something like just... I don't know whether it's just primal when you see a cat that's in that... Because you know it can it can hunt you, <laughs> it can do damage to you as well. It's not something that would run away from you. Yeah, yeah. It it can do damage to you. Yeah. Um, and like I was telling you before, I love canines. It's just something about them. It's yep, it's just, yep. oh yeah, they're great. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think you mentioned something about um, when you were hunting over there um, and hunting the cats, um, that a bloke did shoot a tom that was really big. Was it was. Yeah, that was Jason, um, a good mate of mine that I was with. He shot one that their equivalents to our DPI, the game managements. Yep. So yeah, when you have to go check check the cat in, yep. There was two old guys in their late sixties. They actually come out to take a photo with it because he said this is the second biggest cat he has seen wow. in fifteen years, and they check in between seventy to eighty cats a year in in their area. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Just monstrous, monstrous. <laughs> like, monstrous. And is that a tag thing for a cat? Yep. You, you go there, you pay your tags. Yep. Um, once you've got it, you, it's it's very similar to our hogdy. Yep. You've got to tag it straight away, and then you've got to take it to the check-in station within a certain amount of time. They take one of the, one of the, the, the teeth, they take a sample from the, from the meat. Yep. Um, and then... That's that's about it. But everything has to be harvested. Yeah, yeah. You can't yeah. just over there. They're they're big on their their game, so you have to harvest 
the animal. It's not just killing the cat, skinning it and leaving it there. You actually have to quarter it, take every bit of meat you can, and then you've got to show the game management or the wardens that there that. that you've harvested it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As I, I know that, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm really missing going to the States this year. I've been to the States every year for the last six years and um, I've tried all sorts of game meat while I've been over there. Cat's one thing I haven't tried, but I know that a couple of guys love eating their cat. Like, they they think that it tastes pretty good. Like To be honest, we didn't try it yep. um, because the guide that we were with doesn't eat it. Yep. Um, so we, we didn't get the chance to eat it. But... There are people there that absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, he actually gave it to one of the neighbouring farms that we were hunting on, and and he eats it. So, but we, I, I didn't get the opportunity to eat it. It's a thing to get your head, head around, isn't it? You know, like when you're in France, they love horses. Yeah. You know, the the cats get eaten. You know, the, all those sort of things. It's just a thing to get your head around. But I know uh, talking to a couple of the guys, I had some bear when I was um, in the states last time, and. Um, I thought it was it was fine, um, you know. But they they said that until you hunt your own bear and skin it out and see how human like it is, that's something for you to get your head around yeah, as well. Absolutely, you know? so, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and one thing I do say about the states, they do manage their game extremely well. It's yeah. something I, I'd really hope the Victorian government look at yep. because they are, uh, I reckon, second to none with the way they organise their game. Um, just the whole process of everything there is just unbelievable yeah, yeah. Compared, to, compared to ours here. Yep. Um, and the good thing, is, obviously, about the States, it's hunting's not frowned upon. It's normal. It's, it's actually um, encouraged. Isn't it? You know? It's a, it's a thing. I know that, uh, you know, I think that hunting in Australia has really changed over the last even five years. Absolutely, you know? it has. It's, it's allowed professionals like yours, a professional like mine with knife making, that yep. sort of stuff, to really, you know, get our teeth into it and, and um, for it to be looked at not just as a, a, uh, a thing that people do just because they have a bloodlust. It's, yes. There's a lot more involved around that. So it. it it would be good to see all the hunting organisations get behind one identity yep. and do something about it. There's, in my opinion, there's too many organisations offshoots, and they're easier to pick off one by one as opposed to being one big group to yep. help out each other. Yep. That's something I would like to see. Strength and unity. Absolutely. Yeah. I would like to see that here. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So how long have you been hunting for all up? Since you were a little, little boy or? Uh, look, I probably started when I was about 17, 18. Yeah. Um, Dad used to do it when we were younger, then, then he sort of stopped. And then I got, I got into it when I was a little bit older. Um, we started off with feather and fur and then moved on to pigs. And then once I got my first amber, that was it. <laughs> Just... Yeah. Just couldn't look back. It was just off we go every every weekend, every chance we got. It was just out chasing the yeah. samba. Yeah, yeah. Um. And obviously, as you'd know, fifteen twenty years ago, there wasn't the numbers there are now. Yeah. So if you if you did ten trips and you got it, you got one deer. You were over the moon. It was like wow. Like I've got photos of those. Like I, I would have wasted a full camera on <laughs> taking photos of a doe because it was wow it yeah. was something that you didn't get yep, yep. Um, and back then we harvested all the meat just like we do now and thank god we did because we we know a lot of recipes and we we do thoroughly enjoy the meat yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's a thing i think uh it's funny how things swing around in in roundabout so they speak so they say that uh, I've seen in the Samba world anyway, that we went from um, being probably careless with, um, you know, what we did with Samba and how we, you know, managed them or whatever else, even as a hunting community outside of what the government was doing, to, um, you know, people having some fairly ordinary photos taken with what they may have shot, you know, years and years ago when social media first started. And now I see guys, um, you know, I, I get it a lot with people that have um, 
sending me photos of their you know shooting does that are, they've got them well presented they, they're so happy that they've got the dough because they're going to eat it absolutely it's not all just about the, the bone it's not know? all about the bone look there is there is a lot of trophy hunters out there and that's that's up to them um all i say is if you're going to shoot it for bone no problem but at least utilize the rest of the meat somehow yep don't just leave it out there yep. um because there is a lot of people that will take that meat off your hands. It's becoming more and more um, sought after. You were saying before when you go camping, Tony takes enough for his Absolutely. family and a bit more. <laughs> Every yeah. year, the, the camp, the camp's getting bigger and bigger with, with my wife's side of the family. Um, and now I've basically to take a hell of a lot more meat because everyone wants to taste it. And once they've tasted, oh, do you have a little bit more, Tony? Can I, can I get another piece? And it's like not enough for us. But now I've got to take more because they actually love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Like you said, I think once you get those uh, recipes patterned down. That's right. Um, and you know how to treat it and look after it and all those sort of things. It's... Um, like any meat, you can make a piece of beef or lamb taste pretty chewy and tough, but if you know how to cook it properly... Absolutely. Fantastic. Absolutely. So talking about that stuff um, and going back to your cat hunt, did you bring your cat back to Australia? It's actually nearly about to leave the States. So uh, through the COVID, everything had shut down, so things were a lot longer. Yep. So you, we've got to apply for permits. Yep. So we've finally got our permits from there so that we've had all the paperwork done so once the paper once the permit comes in from the states then i can apply for a permit here from canberra yep to legally bring it over and then i'm hoping it'll be here in the next month or two awesome and then once that's here the the fun starts <laughs> and you get to play absolutely with i get again. to play with how i want to i want to mount it yeah absolutely so talking about that, um, taxidermy, I know I'm going to try and keep this at an hour and Tony and I literally, when Tony comes and sees me every year pretty much and he only is coming for five minutes and three <laughs> hours later we're still talking. So I try to keep this to an hour but taxidermy in Australia, um, how have you seen it grow? How did you get into it? Um, what, do you, what do you love the most? You know. So I think we'll start, how did you get into taxidermy? Okay, I've always loved just creating at, at didn't matter what it was. It was creating something with timber, with with rocks. It didn't matter what it was. I just love creating and, and, and making things. Um, and I've always loved animals. So, and then I started hunting, obviously. And I and just wanted, I was always fascinated to see how were these things created. Um, early on, it was a closed secret. You know, the, the handful of people that didn't know taxidermy would would guard it with their life they wouldn't yeah. they wouldn't even give you a, a millimeter <laughs> um but that's but that's certainly changed now with obviously the internet um there is a lot more people getting into it now which is great um i, th I believe the more competition out there the better it keeps everyone on their toes it's it's become really a sought after art there's there's a lot of people that uh, are wanting to use it do it um, display it it's yeah it's just it's just you can get into taxidermy here like I said this on the internet there is an Australian taxidermy association that um, is mainly based in Victoria but we've got members all over Australia yep. we we did a competition once a year in February Obviously, with COVID last year and this year, we weren't, able, we weren't able to do it. So we, we normally fly in a judge from either the States or Canada or New Zealand that will come and critique our work, which is great because, like I think I was telling you yesterday, if you can't improve yep. on your work every single time, then you might as well give it up. Yep. Okay? Yep. So that they'll come in, they'll critique you, they'll, they'll show you different ways to, to to get your end product. They'll teach you new um, methods of doing things. Um, and you and it's it's a great weekend. You learn and you get to meet other taxidermists as well and, and you learn great. It's 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 fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah. So the how many years have you been doing taxidermy for now? Probably about twenty nineteen, twenty years now. Yep. Yeah. Started off in the garage just Self-teaching myself, just playing around, playing around. Um, tried to get books from the library and 
the only book that I did find was an old, really old book where they'd use arsenic to inject into meat. <laughs> it's just stuff that you just can't do these days. Yeah. Um, so then they just tried to, to learn different methods and, and then just finally uh, that would work and then I'd stick to that and then I'd try a different way. And then, But now, like I said, with, with the internet and, and um, touching base with other taxidermists, and learning and asking questions, we, we all help each other now. It's 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 been a lot better. Do you think there should be a, um, I guess, a professional guild or something like that, so that if people, you know, I don't know if there is one, but I know that um, when you pay for taxidermy um, for a samba mount, you'd be from twelve hundred to eight hundred dollars, something around that mark. But you'd like to know how do you know what a good taxidermist is? I guess is what I'm saying that you don't get fleeced. Like, what do you look for um, in a in a mount when you go to someone's showroom? Okay, is that too difficult? No, it's look. I'll be honest. And early on, when I got my my heads done by a taxidermist, I'd I'd pick it up and yep, it resembled a fellow, or yep, it resembled a a samba. But then your eyes, as a hunter, goes to the rack. So you'd say, yep, it resembles the samba. Oh, that's a nice rack. It's not until later you start looking for the detail that you'd notice things. So, um, obviously, the ear positioning, the eyes, the nose, just the hair patterns, all those sort of things you you, you got to look for. Um, yep. I've always said to people, you don't have to come to me. There's a lot of other taxidermists out there closer. Don't always go for the cheaper option or the closest option. Yeah. Okay. Meet if if you if you're trophy hunting and you're hoping to to shoot a trophy, find a taxidermist that you like. Go to their workshop, have a look at their work, ask them questions. Yep. Once I've shot a deer, what do I do? How do you want this deer brought to you? If I've gone away for three four days and I've shot it on the first day, what can I do, Tony? How do I cape out a deer? Can you can you tell me how to do it? Or is there videos I can watch? Those sorts of stuff people really need to know how to do because there's been a lot of times where people have shot it in the first the first day. They've they've either, either wrecked the cape because they don't know what they're doing or they pack up and they come back straight away and, and their poor friends that they've gone with have got to leave on the first day and there's another three days to go. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I personally believe find a taxidermist, go to them, have a chat to them and then ask them all the questions you need to know and they should be able to walk you through what to look for in a good mount. So going back to that, um, let's just say that I'm an inexperienced hunter and I've come to you, Tony. Um, I like your work. I'm going hunting. What would be your answer if I said, how do you want me to get this deer to you? What would be, as an inexperienced hunter, it's my first hunt but I know that there's a, a, a stag that I'm chasing so I'm telling you that I'm going to chase a stag. I want to mount the stag. How do you want it? Okay, so when, when they come to my place, I've got a diagram and on the back of my business card, I've got another diagram on there to show them where they make their cuts. There's certain cuts you've got to make. So how far back to go, always second to third rib, you make a circular motion, cut it behind the back of the neck. If they're not confident within skinning the face, cut it from the back of the neck give it to the taxidermist, let him finish it. I always tell people, practice on a doe because it's exactly the same by the coronets. Yep. So they can they can practice on that. They can practice on turning the lips, the nose and the ears as well. And then they consult them. They, they can learn that way. So they're not too scared on, on stuffing up their, their, their trophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So um, taking my stag to you with the head still in the skin, so to speak. Yep. You'd prefer to see that than have it come back with no eyelids, no lips, no, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'd rather cape out the deer for them than tell them that the, that what they've done, they've actually wrecked their cape. Yep. So a lot of people do have sentimental value to the cape. Yep. As you know, you can replace capes quite easily, um, but some people are sentimental. They don't, they don't want to, so... If that's the case, like I said, try and do your homework first. Learn as much as you can before you shoot your trophy because I do get a lot of people 
I was just going for a quick hunt. I wasn't expecting to shoot a 30-inch hamper, and they have, and then they didn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's something that they need to bear in mind because not all taxidermists are around Saturday, Sundays when people hunt. Yeah. <laughs> so the take the takeaway from that is, um, if it's something you haven't done before, go to turn to the internet for all of the instructional videos that you'll find there. Ring a taxidermist, um, go and talk to them before you go for your hunt. They may be able to show you um, on a cape that they have or whatever how to put those cuts in and give you some basics anyway so that you're tooled up before you go. Absolutely. When we shoot a cape, um, when we shoot a cape, when we shoot a a stag or an animal, I actually want to get a doe mounted. It'll probably be the next one I'll get done. Yep. But um, when... when, when you shoot it and it's on the ground and it's let's just say it's going to be an average of 24 degrees the day, um, should I wrap it up in plastic or should I wrap it up in like a cloth bag? What's the best sort of okay. bag for me to put my cape into? So you you want to try and avoid the sun. Yep. Sun's a big no-no. Um, and then once you've got it, you don't want to put it in a plastic bag if you if you don't have to. If you're going to put it in a plastic bag, you want to try and put it in the freezer. Because plastic bag, it sweats. Once you get sweat, you get bacteria. You get bacteria, you get hair slip. Hair slip is when the hair falls out and there's nothing you can do about it. It's just bald. It's bald. It's going to fall off. There's nothing you can do about it. It's a bit like my head. <laughs> <laughs> Been working too hard your whole life, Yeah. You? Stressing out too much. <laughs> <laughs> so hair slip's no good. So um, salt, put some salt on the cape. Salt's your best friend. Yep. Um, the only, salt. The only thing I say, if you're going to freeze it, there's no need to salt it. Yep. Okay. Salting is bringing out the moisture out of the the, the hide. Yep. So if you're putting it in the freezer, it's freezing it. There's no problem. A lot of people end up freezing it, and they haven't turned the lips, nose, or ears. So when when I get it and it's defrosted, it's been it's been salted. So then all the meat around the lips and the nose and the ears, as you know, there's no more moisture in them. So it becomes like jerky. <laughs> so you're trying to you're trying to turn lips and nose that's jerky. It makes it near Difficult. impossible yep. without yep. putting holes and cuts in them. Yeah. So if I've got my 60 litre angle in the back of the the truck, I can wrap my cape up. If I've face caped it, so that's what we're talking about. Face caped. Even it. if you haven't face caped and you put it in the fridge or the freezer, it's no problem. Yeah. And where we go. Yep. Okay. Um, can I get a day and a half out of a, out of like if I shoot the deer and I'm going to walk out? Um, a day and a half, the cape should be okay on a moderate sort of. If it's if it's a coolish, if it's cool day, yes. If you're looking at two three days like today, yep, it it can be a problem. Yep, yep, it can be a problem. So I guess um, without trying to miss points, if I get to you and my cape is no good, not all is lost. No, you you can replace capes quite yep. easily. Um, as you know, sambas are all same colour, very easily to replace samba. Um, same thing with chittle, fallow. You can get same colour fallows, it's not a problem. Yep. Um, so there's there's no need for people to worry too much. Um, and some people want their their, their capes replaced because there's too many cuts in them or, or too many scars on them. They want a nice pretty one, which is no problem. You can, you can replace them. Yep, cool. Um, the next thing I, I guess I wanted to ask, being interested in um a mount a lot of people don't know what's under the skin what okay. what's under the skin on a on a mount like is it the real deer do you know like a lot of people do believe it's the real deal um because back in the day they used to inject them with formaldehyde to preserve the meat um especially in birds and small mammals um they used to use um cotton wrap um and timber with paper mache, wow. that's the old, the old, the old way. Um, these days, it's just a polyurethane mold. Yep. So you got a fiberglass mold of your deer. You put your polyurethane in it, and it, and it, and you pop it, and it's 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 just a hard foam basically underneath yep. it. Yeah. Yep. Glass eyes. Some people use bog for the ears, or you can use flex ears. I, I prefer to use flex ears, but the bog work just just as good. Yeah. Um, and obviously, just stitching it up at the end of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what is left of my deer when I take it to just the top of the skull cap and the antlers pretty much is, 
And the cape. And the cape, yeah. Yeah, and then everything else is, yeah, just like a mannequin. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Yeah. What sort of lifetime should I be thinking about, like, out of my, out of my mount on the wall? How long and how do I look after it? Okay, realistically, if you look after that mount, it will it will outsee you. Yeah, well, it will outlive you. Can you can you mount me? <laughs> <laughs> it will out, it will outlive us. Yeah. So, um, as long as the the cape has been treated properly and been neutralised after it's been tanned, because you got you got it goes into a formic acid, so it needs to be neutralised afterwards so the acid doesn't keep breaking the skin down. So as long as it's been neutralised correctly and it's been tanned correctly. And and you've put it on, it will it will outlast us. There's there's no problem as long as you don't put it like the old cliche above a fireplace. Yeah. Okay. So the fireplace draws generates heat, which dries the skin. Once the skin's dried, it, it dries out your oils in in the height. It dries it out, then it starts looking old and it'll start to fall apart. Yeah. And if you put it into direct sunlight, like next to a window where it's going to get direct sunlight all yep. the time, that's going to stuff it up also. Um, and like under a pergola, yep. where the temperatures fluctuate so much, so hot, cold, the skin shrinks, expands, shrinks, expands, and that's what can damage them as well. So as long as they're kept inside... Stable condition. Stable condition, it will outlast us. Yeah, awesome. Does it, um, I did read about some sort of little bug or a skin bug or a fur bug or something that can... Is there a weevil or something that can... There, there is the flesh-eating bugs, as they call them, the beetle bugs. Yep. Um, not something I need to worry about? Nothing you really need to worry about, like I said, unless you've got meat outside that you're using. Um, that's why I don't use them for my Euro mounts. I bore my skulls because yep. I refuse to have them because if they do get out, they can get into your skins. All I do is every two, three months, I'll get one of those those canisters, the bomb canisters, yep. and I'll put one in into the trophy room, and I'll just press it, and, and that's and that will kill everything you need. It's done. Yeah, yep. awesome. Because they are concerns, I guess, if I've spent you know good money and Absolutely. time and all the rest of it. And, Absolutely, it is. And I, and I can't contact Tony on a Saturday afternoon because <laughs> he's having a barbecue with his family. You know. So talking about that and the availability, most people go hunting on the weekend, um, and you living in Melbourne. Um, I guess you need family time as well, but uh, how often do you find people ringing you, dropping in? Constantly. Yep. Which is fine. I mean, it, it is it is the business I'm in, so I know uh, most people aren't fortunate enough like me where I work for myself that I can go out during the week if I want to. So most people do work Monday to Friday, so they only get the the weekends to go. So what I've done now is if I'm not home now, they're still able to to drop off I've got a fridge at home that they can put it in by the time I get home um, so I'm used to people dropping off on the weekends and then your nice weekend just turned into a, you know, a shorter weekend a shorter weekend <laughs> yeah um, what happens when you get after the the uh, handshake and thank you very much and see you in three or four months what what does your work entail from there okay so mo- most people do drop it off with the head intact still yeah so I've got to skin that head. Then I've got to turn the, ear, the lips, the nose, the ears, salt it. And there's once once I salt it, there's, there's probably about three or four times I salt it. So I really let the moisture draw out of the skin so I, I don't have to worry about hair slip. Yep. Then I, I'll cut the skull into the size I want it and then I'll boil the skull. So I can get all the meat off it so it's nice and clean for when I need to, to put it onto the mannequin. Yep. Wow. So there's a fair bit of work once it gets dropped off. There's at least another two, two to three hours worth of work <laughs> once they drop it off. And you're a part-time butcher by cutting all the meat oh, off the goat? I've learned a lot, I can tell you now. <laughs> if I had a dog, it would be well fed with the amount of meat still left on the cape, yes. Yeah. <laughs> But you prefer to see that than knife cuts in a cape. But if I do cut my cape with a knife, uh, what happens? Is Look, it- it's, it's, it's generally not too bad um, on the body. I mean, on a, on a summer fallow, we've been really short hair. Um, you may see a little bit, but on the on the sand and the reds, it's not a problem. I'd rather see them on the body than around the, the eyes because yep. around the eyes, there's nearly no, no, no hair there. It's very thin skin. It's very thin there. skin. Yep. So when you do stitch it, you will see the crossover of, of the hide going, touching each other. So you'd rather it on the body if you can. 
And what do you do to fix it? Do you stitch it or staple it or like? Depending on where it is. Yeah. Um, if it's the body, it stitch it. Um, being around the eyes, you know, there is a little trick with a bit of glue that that works. Um, Taxidermy um, magic. Yeah, yeah. 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 Taxidermy yeah. magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that, that's um, – they're all things I think that if you um, are new to hunting and you, uh, you've got quite excited, you've shot your deer – no matter what it is, and if you think I'm going to get this mounted, that is the next question. What do I do with this? You know, I remember um, Daz Hawkins shooting one of his first eggs, and I met him and um, Marty Phillips uh, up the top of Zika, and they didn't really know how to cape it, you know. And they, they it was a, it was an awesome stag, you know. And um, you know, the, it is amazing the amount of people, and I, and I know that they've learnt since then. But the amount of people that you know they've got all the gear, they go hunting, then all of a sudden, bang. They've shot themselves, like you said, a 30-incher or whatever it may be, their trophy. So I say it happens all the time. <laughs> they they spend the time and the money on decking themselves out to get that. That's the ultimate prize. But they don't sort of – they set themselves up to get the prize, but then after they've got the prize, what do I do? <laughs> okay. Um, and that's where a lot of people don't see beyond that. Yep. Um, and that's why I say – Find a taxidermist before you've shot your trophy. Yep. Know who you're taking it to and what needs to be done for it. Yep. So I've got a, a a client that's shot two red deer now just last week yep. and both times he stuffed up his cape. <laughs> so now there he you knows... Are, whoever you are that's listening. <laughs> now, now he knows exactly how to do it because he's come over this time, and and I've and I've walked it through to him, and he's and he's hoping he gets the he gets the opportunity for a third stag. <laughs> so anyone that doesn't know Tony, he's about six foot two, maybe six foot three, and and probably a good hundred and twenty kilos of just beast. So oh, yeah. I don't think I'd be uh, going to Tony's with my cape and going. I stuffed it up again. There you go, fix it. I'd be trying to learn. <laughs> you know? uh, getting off the deer, because taxidermists just don't do deer, um, ducks, you know. Um, duck season, I guess, will be upon us and hopefully announced and have been a really good season for us in Victoria. Let's hope so. Let's hope. I mean, it's been really good conditions and the ducks have been just um, prolificating like you would not, have believed. Not according to the, uh, the ABC, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing, yes. <laughs> ABC can F you too. So yeah. anyway, um, what do I do with a duck? Like if I want to get, if I shot a really nice specific duck that's got really beautiful colours, um, what do I do with it once it's, it's, it's on the swamp in front of me from there? So or just just pick it up. Just hopefully it hasn't hasn't got broken wings. If it's got broken wings, still fixable. It's not a problem. Um, just fold the head under the wing, put it in a plastic bag, close it up, and that's all you need to do. And then you do the rest. Yeah, that's it. Awesome. Yeah. What what sort of um, mounts do you do with ducks? Are they normally wing spread, or does it matter, or is it just endless? It's basically whatever whatever the client wants. Yep. Um, a lot of the times, people try and get a male and a female. And they'll have one standing and one sitting next to each other. They like the pairs. Yep. You can do some flying. There's, it's just endless. It just all depends on the client's imagination. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and if they were going to shoot a duck that, say, let's just say that um, a hardhead, I couldn't shoot it in Victoria this year, but I could shoot it in South Australia, um, they need to bring paperwork with them. To, to your place to say Unfortunately, that. yeah. Anything that travels, crosses the border, you need to get an import and an export permit. Yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. It's the bureaucrats. <laughs> Even though you can hunt, leg, legally hunt it in South Australia, you've got your South Australian licence. Um, but every state have their own yep. different laws, as you'd know. Um, and Victoria, I believe, is the only state that we've, you've got to be a have a taxidermy license to actually perform taxidermy for people. Wow. Yeah. So I guess that's a that's a good thing too, I guess, to know as someone going to a taxidermist, have you got a license? Um, if the guy's got a license, it's normally meant that they're, I guess, that they've gone the extra step and they've got to pay for their thing maybe? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's an extra step that they pay for. Yeah. So they legally they're allowed, to, they're allowed to operate as a taxidermist in Victoria. 
So um, going on with that, I guess uh, the hog deer are coming up soon. Yep. Um, what do I need to take to you to show proof of, um, you know? Your tag and the paperwork from the checking station. And that's it. I'm yep. good. Yep. Yep, cool. Yep. So the checking station... I won't, I won't accept one without it. Yep. It's absolutely big no-no. Yeah. I won't even allow it in my workshop. If you haven't got that paperwork and those tags, it will not come into my workshop. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I know I did see one um, out that got done by one fellow, and I think that he had the paperwork when he'd finished um, laminated and put on the wall board yep. on, on the back of it so that if any time someone wanted to ask, you had that there. Had the paperwork, yeah. There, so. I always keep the tags... With the deer, so if the DPI do come to check my paperwork, that it's in the book, and I've got the tag on the on the antlers as well. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. So I guess once again, your advice of find a taxidermist before you go hog deer hunting, because there's some complications in Victoria. I guess if you want to call it that, that once you shoot your deer, you have to get it uh, to the checking station, you know, within a certain time period, which is. And know, I believe it's changed now. You got to go to. The DPI in Bansdale, is that correct? Yeah, I think it has, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's changed now, yeah. So I only just found that out recently as well. So that's something that hunters need to need to learn and need to know when they yeah. – or read their pamphlet when, they, when they've when they actually applied for their um, tags. Hog deer tags. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the deer itself, I guess, is going to take longer. It's not just the same as putting it in the truck and driving it to Tony's because there's a mid-step where they've got to get it checked, weighed and – Sampled and all those sort of things. F so. Photographed. Yeah, yep. Um, so just the same procedure, just there once they finish their um, official stuff, just look after the cape as per what your normal instructions would be. For same as a samba or a fellow and the other deer, yeah. What about fish? Do you do? I don't do fish. Don't do fish. I've just never, I've never been into fish. Like to, I don't, I don't have a passion for fish. I love fishing. I love eating fish. Just haven't had a passion to mount and preserve fish. Yep. Um, there is a lot of good guys out there. There's, you know, Ben Carrillo, there's Mark Cilia as well. Um, Just look them up. There's on Andrew. There's, there's, quite, there's quite a few really good fish guys out there if, yep. if people want fish done, yeah. Yep, cool. Um, well, I guess moving on to um, foxes and stuff like that. Um, yep. uh, wild dogs, cats, whatever. It's, um, can I do them like a duck and tuck them up in a big ball and just freeze them and bring them to you, or do I skin them out? Or like foxes, I prefer people dropping them on whole. Yep. That way, I get this. I can cast. I, I can, I can skin it in a in a particular way that when I mount it, you don't get to see any hair movement. Yep. Um, when you're stitching it, um, same thing as a dog. There's, I, I prefer the smaller game dropped off to me as is, so I'm able to skin it in a way that I would like. Yeah. Um, and, and is that for the full mounts that you're talking about? Like for full mounts, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I guess rolling back from then, some advice on the times maybe like in our typical deer that we have in Victoria. Um, if people wanted to hunt Samba um, and they've shot a deer that isn't hard in its antlers, um what antlers are no good to keep, as in that you can't deal with, you know? Uh, to or, or at what stage when they're in velvet can you deal with them? Okay. You know what I'm asking? Yep. So on, on a samba, you'd want them. You'd want the main beam and the inners all the way, just about. You'd only want maybe an inch that's still soft and round. Yep. Anything really more than that. Is, is a waste. Yep. Um, you remember, you've got a lot of blood and hormone in there. There's only so much it, it will take in there. Yep. Okay. Um, so I'd say probably an, an inch from growing out is is probably the maximum. Yep. 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 It's, it's good to know because sometimes you do shoot a deer in different circumstances, Absolutely. you know. And, and, uh, and the meat's always better in velvet stag as totally. well. Totally. Absolutely yep. beautiful. <laughs> like, yeah. But, uh, you know, I've shot a few that have been... Um, Floppy, you know, in their antlers, you know, so because um, I've been hunting meat and you know, I'll shoot a velvet all Absolutely. day, every day you know? Absolutely, um, fellow deer, there was yeah, the one dropped or uh, he sent me a photo of one that he wanted, he wanted done, and I asked him, 
Samba Fellow, as you know, Samba, some of them have still got their antlers now. Um, fellow, and it was just, it only had its brow, and it just had probably about six inches of its main beam. I said, you can't do anything with that. It's, it's a waste. Yep. I said, enjoy the meat, but turf out those, those antlers because it's just too soft. Yep. Yep. Um, what else do people mainly shoot in Victoria, I guess, outside of hog deer, fellow, and some reds? There's quite a few reds that are there kicking is, There is actually a lot more reds getting about in Victoria than ever before. Yep. Like, as you know... They're only in small pockets up around Giftsland, and now they're everywhere. They're they're getting like people are, are shooting them in places that you'd never think that there was deer there, but they're getting reds in there now. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more reds being shot in Victoria than ever before. And same sort of um, uh, advice with them as the samba. You know, if they're soft up to like they've only got about an inch of soft. About on the an top, inch left, yeah. Then then they then you can preserve them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. Um, it's it's always been a, a um, an interest of mine too with the eyes that you use. Sometimes when you you look at eyes, you, you look at them and go, they just look like marbles. And some of them, they look like eyes and they follow you. You know, yep. what, what sort of eyes do you okay. use? I, I I use the McKenzie eyes. Um, there is a lot of different manufacturers out there. Just you know, you can buy uh, the lower end or the top end. Um, I, I believe you know eyes. It's a statement. If, if you get your eyes right and your ears right, everything else follows. Yeah, um, yeah. And if you've got a nice-looking eye that presents well and has got a nice gloss on it and, and looks like it should, it makes a huge difference. And the ones that I get, like I said, are McKenzie glass eyes, and they, they, they do look really, really good. Yeah. 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 They're, they're just uh, a thing. I think when I went and had a look at a whole bunch of different taxidermy display, one of the... Um, uh, trade shows that was on, you could see just the difference. Like the eyes either held you, yep, you know, or you looked at them and they just looked like googly eyes. You it's, know? <laughs> there's, there's, there's not much to an eye that you you can do. Just subtle little changes that will make the whole mount look completely different. And it's the same thing with the ears. You can do subtle changes to an ear and it'll make that whole mount look completely different. Yeah, yeah. Just small, but. The, the eyes make a huge difference to a mount. Absolutely, they do. I watched, um, there was a show like there's, there is on everything, you know, on, um, you know, Fox and all that sort of stuff. And it was actually on taxidermy in America and the guys were getting ready for a competition and they showed the competition and that sort of stuff. And, oh my Lord, the amount of work that were going into those. They, they actually had uh, criticism because the blood veins inside the nose... <laughs> <laughs> no, we're too full or not full enough. Yep. You know, like you yep. know, the the judges were shining torches into their nose cavities and Absolutely. stuff like that. Absolutely, look, when it, when it comes to competition pieces, there's there's different sort of work that goes involved in it. Like you said, there's no one's really going to get a torch and look right up inside a deer's nose. Um, no one's going to look inside the ears to make sure it's got the ear canal going all the way through it's just uh, you've got to bring the deer back almost to life yeah it's in in every aspect of it yeah um, that's that's the competition pieces and there's there's like a mount from start to finish on a standbar will take me probably about 10 12 hours that's with the finish work and everything yep okay on a competition piece you're probably looking at about 30 40 hours wow there's just a hell of a lot more work in them, yeah. Yeah, wow. But there's not much difference. if you, To have a look at them from a naked eye, you won't know but unless you get the torch and you start looking, looking inside the nose or inside the ear canals. You, you'll never know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess looking at uh, the good and the bad examples, though, if you saw a taxidermist that had white bog all the way like the deer had some sort of <laughs> you know, nasal infection that's probably like a you'll know yeah absolutely know. so looking at um even noses when noses get done how do you make your noses look so real tony i know that i've looked at a couple of others and they just look like dried sandpaper okay and yours have got shine so once as you know like a nose pad is full um, and it's got all its little those little dots that they got on there. 
Um, and they're always shiny because they've they got that wetness to them. Um, once the skin's tanned, that becomes flat because they've, they've shaved all underneath. It becomes almost like paper underneath there. Uh -huh. So what we do is same thing again with the association. When the, when the, the world champions come out, they'll teach us new, new methods and new, new techniques. And that was a technique that we learned that when you put nose pads back on is individually you've got to put every dot and shape it back in to make it look full again. Yep. And then you give it the gloss look, which gives it that nice wet look. So when yep. you look at it, it actually looks like a, a, a nose should look like. Yeah. yeah. And that can make a big difference too. Can make a huge difference. You know? Absolutely it does. <laughs> it, 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 like I said, there's only little subtle little things that you need to do to make a mount really pop. Yeah. Yeah. And there, the eyes, the eyes, nose and ears do that. And I think, um, I mean, you've pointed it out to me and um, so has a couple of other guys, you know, even the, the position of the ears at Samba don't listen out of the middle of their neck. That's right. You know? That's right. <laughs> they're, they're up, they're up, up higher towards their, their, their antlers and probably in line with the middle of their eyes. Yep. And they're a bit more forward. Yeah. Yep. Because like, you know, they, they can really turn those ears and that's where they need to be for them to be able to turn the ears. Yeah. yeah. It's those small things, I think, for me, even as a hunter, to to appreciate mounted work and I can look at stuff. I guess it's a bit like uh, me going to a, a knife show and I might go and pick up everyone else's work because I want to see how they've done something or I might pick it up and be a little disappointed or a little bit, you know, like, oh, wow. That's, Absolutely. That's, you know. Absolutely. And like I said, if you are not constantly learning there's something wrong yeah you know if you think that you've got a down pat just give it up because there's always room for improvement there's always new ways to learn how to do things and you know i'm still constantly learning and trying different methods it's it's you know you, you try different methods like i'm experimenting with um, my neuro mounts now there's a couple of different ways that i'm practice not practicing but just experimenting in had to present them um so when people have got them they can they've got different ways to to, to choose choose from so euro mounts is something that um i didn't even really think about covering but if i took my dot and i didn't want to have a full mount done i could get a euro mount done is that yep. something yeah yep absolutely so um for those that don't know what a euro mount is it's just pretty much the white and skull um there is there is actually a lot of work in those that people don't realise. I've I've told people um, that I'm quite happy to teach people how to do a Euro mount if they want. Um, a lot of people they do do them, but they the, what they miss out on the, the the one step that they do miss out on is degreasing the skull. So a lot of people will boil the skull and then they'll try and bleach the skull. But if you've got fat or oils inside that skull that hasn't come out. When you peroxide it, that fat and oil will seep through, and then you'll get that yellow tinge to it. Yeah. So you've got to degrease it, and then you got to then you've got to um, uh, peroxide it. Yeah. Wow. Well, I didn't yeah. even think about that myself. Yeah. As you've seen on <laughs> my skulls that are hanging around the joint. Yeah. Well, they're they're all, uh, I guess, tricks of the trade. That um, you know, that's why I take it to a professional to get it done. Or you know, mate, just not ch chainsaw it off with a, a, a chainsaw and... Absolutely. You know. That's why I bring one knife for you to sharpen. <laughs> <laughs> one or the other. Um, now, if I was going to uh, hunt overseas... Yep. Um, apart from sighties listed, which we know we can't um, deal with anyway, uh, what sort of preparation do you need? Is there a long-term thing that you need as a taxidermist to be receiving... Um, trophies like in import export. No, like I said, m most people will go through an agent to bring their stuff in, which is going to be a lot less headaches for them because yeah. the agent knows all the ins and outs that what needs to be done, and it's probably the best best way for them not to lose anything because they only want any little excuse to get rid of your trophies to come in. Yep. Okay, and then they'll say, no, it hasn't been done properly. We're confiscating it or it hasn't been treated properly in the States or where, or Africa. We have to fumigate it. And then once that container or your, your products get fumigated, throw away their skins. Yeah, right. It, they, it will fall apart. 
when they gamma, gamma ray it or fumigate it, it's 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 a throwaway. How are you doing? It? Excuse me, I've got a, a corona cough going on. <laughs> Ever since I come back from China, this cough. Yeah, going yeah, away. it just stays there. <laughs> <laughs> um, seriously, though, are you doing any overseas mounts at the moment, or have you done any? Or um, um, I just finished off doing a, a life-size diker, which I did drop off on the way on the way through, um, and I've got an eland to do, which is obviously an African animal, and a life-size inyala I need to do as well soon. Well, that that is still in the freezer that needs to be done. I've got to find time to do them in between the other stuff that I've got, and then um, and I did say I was going to try and do a little bit more hunting this year. <laughs> Good luck. I um, <laughs> I sort of said I ha I've, it's time for me to get back out in the high country and 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 walk Stick those hills. Legs, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, uh, absolutely. And time is one thing that I just wanted to touch on quickly as well. What's a an average for you a time turnaround from Three months, six months for... Probably six to ten months. Yep. Yeah, um, six to ten months. It could be a little bit quicker now because of the COVID. So we, I have had time to catch up now. So the wait time has has, has dropped. So look, could be anywhere between five to seven months now. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right. Um, so where do people find you, Tony? Where's, where's the best place? Facebook, social uh, media? Look, a lot of people find me on um, Facebook, like Life Life Taxidermy. Um, I've just started... Instagram now <laughs> I'm still <laughs> learning out. that still learning that um, and then like I, I get a lot of referrals from previous clients they'll they'll send their friends yep. that's how people get onto me yeah um, and without pinning you into a corner or doing a, a live quote what would people be expecting for a um, what do you call a mount like that that's a that's just a, a shoulder Samba mount? shoulder mount yep so a Samba <clears throat> shoulder mount at this stage you're about $900 yep cool but if I've got a cape out the head Yep. You're looking at an additional $100. Yep. That's for me to take the skin off the face, turn the lips, salt it, and, and boil it. It's an additional $100 on top of that. Yep. Which yep. I guess is neither here nor there. Yep. For $900 oh. for an extra $100 for it to be done right. That's right. Yep. Cool. So they can find you there, contact you there. Um, no obligation to ring you and ask you some questions. Quite happy to, to answer people's questions. I'm quite happy for people to come around and... and, and Look, because sometimes it's it's easier for people to understand when they're visually seeing something in front of them as opposed to the phone. Yep. So, like I said, I've, I'm quite happy for people to come around and ask questions. I do get it occasionally, um, and I'm actually quite happy when they do because they're the ones that when they do shoot something, it comes to me like it like it should. Yep. Um, and they're and everything's done right, and they're they're happy because they haven't wrecked the cape on it. Yeah, and the, the um, examples that you have, I guess, that's in your um, trophy room so people can see what a, a, a sneak might look like, yep. as in, and I'm talking about a position. Um, I do have different I do have different uh, positions there. I've got, obviously, the left, the rights. I do have some sneaks. I've got some wall pedestals as well. There is a mixture of, 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 of different mounts there for... It's easier once again when people can visually see what they look like. Yep. they can. They they can see it. And don't be afraid to ask. And I, I guess the um, the end game is that you can have as much done as you want to spend. Absolutely. So um, I'm really looking forward to you know um, getting a really good like I said the other day a fox with a with a duck in its mouth. You know like. I think they look pretty cool. Those absolutely. Sort of, I'm, I'm, a, a nice winter cape on a fox looks awesome. So you can do those those scenes and those... You can do anything you want, Rob. That's why I was telling people. It all comes down to um, room and money. Yep. You know, how much room has somebody got and how much they want to spend on a habitat. A habitat can take longer to, to create than what an actual <laughs> mount, a mount is. Yeah. You know, so there was a grizzly that I did late last year. Um, With a person in their mouth? <laughs> I was going to put the wife in there, but <laughs> um, it it took me longer to make that that rock habitat than it did to mount the actual bear itself. It, there is a hell of a lot of work on habitats yep. that you know you might look at it and say, "Oh, yeah, it looks just like a rock. It's got a little bit of moss in it," but they do take a long time to create. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's an absolutely fascinating for me um, topic to look at how. Uh, the memory of the animal 
when I saw it looking at me last before I shot it, to being able to make that animal then reappear in a in a uh, a mount on the wall, yep. you know, and how you guys do that and you read the information I've given you, it, it is absolutely fantastic. And I think um, it's just another um, uh, side of hunting that people don't think about either. And that taxidermists, most taxidermists do hunt, you know. And absolutely, they, and they do. And they love their animals. It's not about even just uh, playing with dead things. You know, you guys absolutely appreciate life as it is. Um, and like your business says, life like taxidermy, you know, to have have that um, <coughs> hunt kept as a memory that you can put on the wall and give to your kids is pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Tone. Well, before Corona gets the best <laughs> of me, um, we've been going away for an hour. Thanks right, very perfect. much. No, um, you're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. <coughs> anytime. We'll chat soon. Thank you for listening to the Hunty Countdown on a podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.